guys, welcome back to another episode of Buckeyes in Maryland, the show where we bring a little bit of Ohio to the DMV area. Today I'm riding solo, no Chris, no John, but that's okay because we had a jam-packed weekend of football. So we can just go ahead and jump right in. Oh, man. Being from Ohio, being a native of Ohio, I love to see the Browns do well. Cincinnati, I'm not, you know, I'm not really that high on. You know, they are an Ohio team. Honestly, I could care less how their season unfolds, but I would be remiss to say that uh, I wasn't a little bit taken back by the injury that Joe Burrow suffered yesterday. Torn ACL, um, these injuries now are re- with the advancements that we've made in medicine are relatively, um, they're not as painstaking as they used to be. They're not the career enders uh, that they used to be. A guy now typically can come back and rehab a lot quicker than he used to be able to do. So we'll see Joe Burrow again. He'll be back playing at a high level again because um, not to be understated, although the losses kept piling up for Cincinnati, Joe Burrow actually played very well. He kept them in a lot of games. And now with Ryan Finley under center, we are going to see just how bad that Cincinnati team is. Joe Burrow, you know, coming out of LSU, there was a lot of questions about whether or not his game would translate to the NFL because he did have a lot of weapons to work with LSU. But the one thing that can't be taken away from Joe is his poise. Uh, he, he stepped in immediately and looked like a veteran. You know, there, there there's some head scratchers every now and again. But for the most part, he played wise behind his years. So I can't take that away from Joe. And I really, really hope the best for him. I hope he has a uh, successful comeback. And he'll be a candidate for, you know, comeback player of the year, obviously. He plays in a tough division. So there's not really any, really, I, I don't, there's, it'd be very hard to pick Cincinnati to come out as the division winner in these next couple of seasons. You know, you still have Big Ben. Uh, as harsh as I've been on him, you know, playing at a high level, you have the Browns now making some noise at 7-3, and three, beating up on my Philadelphia Eagles. So you, there's a lot of challenge within that division, not to mention the Baltimore Ravens, uh, who've had an ascent over the past two years. Um, didn't fare so well yesterday, but they're still a pretty tough team to face. So, you know, I, it's hard to really choose them winning the division in these next couple of seasons, but they'll be very competitive with Joe Burrow at the helm. So that's number one. Uh, that's Cincinnati. Definitely tough to see, tough to watch an injury like that occur anytime it happens. Um, but with it being an Ohio team, me being from Ohio, as much as I don't really care about the Bengals, I just you know, I feel for the kid. You know, he was having a pretty good rookie season. It, I think the rookie of the year race would have come down to him and Justin Herbert. So I think now, obviously, with how the game ended yesterday and with the injury, Justin Herbert is obviously probably going to end up being the rookie of the year 
most certainly. Um, you know, the other possible quarterback that could have anything to say about that maybe to attack a Valoa, but I just don't see that happening either. You know, he didn't start the year out. Um, so, yeah, you could probably pencil in Justin Herbert as the runaway rookie of the year at this time with the injury to Joe. Um, but with all that being said, you know, again, I just wish the absolute best for Joe Burrow and his recovery. Hopefully everything goes well. He's able to rehab, come back, no setbacks, anything of that nature. And uh, come back next year. Hopefully they're able to revamp that offensive line because it's been an absolute dumpster fire disaster. Um, they're, you know, I'm, I'm interested to see how Ryan Finley is going to fare behind that offensive line because it's atrocious. It's almost... You know, it's it's very similar and reminiscent to uh, the issue that Baker Mayfield had to deal with last year with Cleveland. Uh, I don't think it's, uh, I don't think the Browns' issue was as bad. And thank God Baker didn't suffer an injury behind that horrendous line. But you know, there's some similarities there. Um, with all that being said, you look at his statistical output from yesterday: thirty-four pass attempts before he exited the game. Ryan Finley then came in through 10. Yeah, he only completed three of those, but uh, the point of what I'm telling you guys is he threw the ball 34 times. I just don't see the balance in the passing and run game. I mean, I, I look at 18 rushing attempts they had yesterday. and Their, their lead was Giovanni Bernard, you know, pretty well-known back in that uh, in that area in Cincinnati. He's been on the team for years now, but he only had nine rushing attempts. He led the backfield. They they kind of they employ a running back by committee approach, but still, 18 rushes to 44 passing attempts, that's insane. You're expecting this kid to go drop back and throw 60 passes a game. I mean, because I, I believe that's what it would really translate to if you spread that out about um, around the full game slate so you cannot expect the kid to drop back and throw the ball 60 plus times a game and not be in danger of suffering an injury like this unfortunately you know sad uh, I honestly put that on the play calling the injury on the play calling but you know that that's just my opinion so hopefully they're able to run a little bit more of a balanced approach with Finley under center because if he goes down, they're really hurting. So, I mean, they, they, they got to figure it out. There, there's no way they're going to be, you know, winning anything these next few seasons if they don't get that problem shored up. They got to figure it out. So, you know, wishing the best for you, Joe. Hopefully they figure it out for you. Um, other team in Ohio, the Cleveland Browns, as I mentioned earlier, they put a beat down on my Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, they ate Carson Wentz alive yesterday and I'm, I'm, I'm trying so hard not to get off the, uh, the Wentz wagon because anomaly seasons have happened before in regards to down years. Carson Stone, I believe, 14 touchdowns to 14 interceptions. So he's having, by far, in a way, his worst season of his career. 
does that mean that he's a bad quarterback per se? I'm I'm just, I'm still leaning towards the no. I still think this is an anomaly type of season. A lot of things have gone wrong this season, um, but I cannot not mention the fact that he makes one to two boneheaded decisions each game that cost us some of these games. And I know that's the biggest that's the biggest takeaway from a lot of the people who've gotten off the Lance wagon is the fact that he has a a bad tendency to throw the ball to the other team in the worst possible fashion and it reared its ugly head around twice yesterday he threw a very bad pick six to Taki Taki of the Browns yesterday it was just atrocious to watch on live TV It, it was bad that I can't I, there's no way to defend that. And then his second interception of the day came in the red zone against the Browns to uh, Denzel Ward, I believe. It's another bad play. He had Alshon Jeffrey in a route, and I don't know if their the their communication was uh, if there was a miscommunication or if the the timing was just off. Because you if you watch the play again, you'll notice that Alshon Jeffrey kind of you know he's there. And Alshon Jeffrey's one of those guys you can kind of just throw the ball to, and he'll, you know, go up, try and make a play, try to win the, one of those 50-50 balls. But it was just mistimed. The jump was mistimed by Jeffrey. The throw was awful by Wentz. There was no way it wasn't going to end in a bad way. And that sealed Philadelphia's fate yesterday. You know, there was a faint glimmer of hope driving the ball down the field towards the end of the game where you know, I thought maybe Philadelphia could, you know, pull something off, but it just didn't didn't happen it was a bad outing the score was not as close as it indicated uh, you know there's there really honestly though there's blame to go around all around this team miles sanders uh you know one of my favorite eagles considered a three down back but he has a bit of a fumbling issue and uh, he suffers from occasional drops from time to time. And it comes at some of the most inopportune times. We had drove down the field primarily rushing the ball um, on one of the first two drives of the game. And Sanders fumbles, I believe, on the four-yard line. It was just It's one of those gut-wrenching plays. It's, it's just inexcusable. Um, Sanders, you know, he... Entering yesterday's game, I think he was third in the league in yards per carry. So, you know, he he has big play potential. You know, we saw that with the 70-plus yard uh, rush that he had, you know, weeks ago. But he he suffers from fumbles. He's got a little fumbleitis, and he, he's he'll give you the occasional job. So, you know, one of the headlines that I read earlier was, you know, did, is he truly a three-down back? Because uh, Philadelphia, they, they do kind of employ that running back by committee approach. You know, they have a very good third-down back in Boston Scott. You know, you sprinkle him with some draw plays, some screen plays, and he can make something happen. We've seen him do it, you know. <laughs> he's, a, he's a giant killer for sure. He did, He's definitely done damage to them, and he, he showed even last season that, you know, he can – if given opportunities, he can make something happen. You know, they also, you know, bring in 
uh, Corey Clement from time to time. You might see a little sprinkle of Huntley. Um, and believe it or not, they actually just brought back in Jordan Howard, who was, uh, you know, released from the Dolphins this past week, I believe. So they, they signed him back to the practice squad. So we'll see how that kind of plays out if they bring him up to the active roster game day. But uh, I don't know, man. It's just there's so much blame to go around that it's hard to really, really pinpoint in on one issue and say that is the definitive reason why the Eagles keep losing. Sure, Carson Wentz is a uh, he plays a huge role in that. Sure, Doug Peterson plays a huge role in that with his play calling. But when you break it down, play by play, game by game, what it really is the biggest issue that the Eagles have going on. I I'm really at a loss trying to figure that out. You know, if it is Carson, um, and many people think that it is, then there is a there, there's valid reason to believe that with the turnovers. The inconsistent play. You just don't know from game to game which Carson you're going to get. You do know that Carson's good for for one to two turnovers a game, and that is going to be an automatic non-starter. It's going to shut you down. You're not going to win games if you are losing the ball and turning the ball over at such a high rate. It's just not going to happen. So from this point on, you know, the question comes to mind. Okay, we're leading the division at 3-6-1. Washington, New York, and Dallas are right on our heels. All at 3-7, and seven, I believe. Terrible division. I can't even believe we're having this conversation about Philadelphia leading a division, period, at... Three, six, and one. After ten games played, I can't even believe I'm saying this, but we're leading the division still, coming off a two-game losing streak. Philadelphia has by far the toughest remaining schedule, and I believe Dallas has the second easiest. So, at this point, what do you do? Are you going to continue to? Um, start Wentz and hoping that you get a home playoff game where we probably get beat down by whichever wildcard team comes our way? Or do we put Jalen Hurts out there to see what the kid can do? I don't know. I, I'm, it, it's perplexing because Philadelphia is tied to Wentz for the foreseeable future in regards to monetary terms. You, however, you spent a second-round pick on Hurts just to have him run a couple of package plays. So that's the question. Do you continue to trot Wentz out there and compete for the division title, or do you just admit that this season is forgone and you give the reins to Jalen Hurts to see what he can do? Can he spark the offense? Can he stop the turnover problem that Wentz has been? I don't know. You know, I like I said at the beginning of this segment, I 
am still on the Wentz wagon, and I'm really hoping this is just an anomaly year and Wentz can return to form, at least the form that we saw over the past few seasons, MVP season notwithstanding. So I just don't know how to proceed at this point in time. It is really a tough question. It's 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 difficult to forecast what Philadelphia is going to decide to do because by all intents and purposes, Doug Pedersen has come out and said that no, Carson's our guy, Carson's our starter, but you have people in the media chirping away about Jalen Hurts. Who knows how the team and the locker room's actually functioning? I don't know. I want to see Wentz finish this season out just to see, you know, if he's able to kind of put on a magical into the season like he did last year, where he, I, I believe they closed out on a four-game win streak, albeit against mostly divisional foes. Will he be able to replicate a performance like that this year? Because right now, Philadelphia really controls its own destiny. We're still leading the division, however bad it may be, and... We have the ability to take the division. It just, it all comes down to ball security. Stop turning the ball over. Take the ball out of Carson's hands if you have to, Doug Pedersen. Run the ball a little bit more. Be a little bit more balanced. Miles Sanders is a good running back. Boston Scott adds a lot. You have different ways that you can mitigate the turnover problem that Carson has become. So, you know, it it is yet to be seen how and who will be the starter moving forward. So, at this point, as an Eagles fan, all I can do is just hope for the best. I mean, would it be so bad to, you know, not make the playoffs this year and end up with a top 10 draft pick? No. (laughs) No. I can't lie, you know, that that idea is actually enticing to me because there there's going to be uh, a lot of talent coming out in this draft. We're not going to finish enough uh, high enough to grab uh, another quarterback, but we could definitely grab, um, you know, wide receiver, linebacker, something that we really need. But at this point, I just don't know how to proceed and I'm not sure they do either I'm not sure they know how to fix the problem right now the problem is is multifold it's Carson it's play calling it is balance it's definitely defense there's been a lot of blame to go around Staying in the NFL, uh, you look at the matchup between the New Orleans Saints and Atlanta Falcons, uh, one of which the first of games that Drew Brees will be out of the lineup. Um, He's on IR at the moment uh, with a rib injury, I believe. So in his place, insert Taysom Hill, a guy that many people believe doesn't have what it takes to be a starting level quarterback in the NFL hard to really look at Taysom Hill and and know if this start actually solidifies him as a true starter or starting caliber quarterback at this point. Um, threw the ball 23 times, completed 18 of them, 
Uh, didn't throw any touchdowns, but he also didn't throw any interceptions. So that's, you know, that's not bad. The big thing about Taysom Hill, though, is always what he can bring on the ground. Um, very mobile player. The Saints tend to use him all over the field, whether it be in the backfield, at the quarterback position. Uh, sometimes they even uh, put him out wide. But uh, in this game, he carried the ball 10 times for 51 yards and did score two touchdowns. So that's big. Um, that combined with the pretty stellar play of the Saints defense uh, attributed to a Saints win, moving them to 8-2. and two. Now, Atlanta, uh, something should be said about their defense. It's pretty woeful. It's, it's down there with Dallas's, But still, winning in your first career start, you can't take that away from Taysom Hill, um, regardless of how you think uh, or what you think about him as a uh, NFL-caliber quarterback. He definitely is valuable to the Saints. Now, he is projected to be the starter uh, for the foreseeable, foreseeable future until Drew comes back. But we'll have to see what happens when Drew retires. Uh, a lot of people think that he'll end up retiring after this season. And if he does, do they go to Taysom? Or do they turn the reins over to Jameis Winston? Or perhaps another quarterback? I don't know. I think we'll be able to ascertain that uh, within the next couple of weeks, depending upon how Taysom does. You know, he he's not going to wow you in the passing game. There are there were a couple of underthrows yesterday. There were some plays left on the field. But as long as he's winning you games, does it really matter? Now, a lot of people like to paint Taysom Hill in the same type of portrait as they did Tim Tebow. Now, Tim Tebow in his years in Denver wasn't really able, he didn't get a fair shake if you ask me. He was not a statistically good quarterback in the passing game, but he found ways to win games. So you tell me, what matters more? Lighting up the defense, putting up gaudy numbers, or winning? What's more important? So when you make the determination on who is going to be your starting quarterback moving forward, that has to be taken into account. Do we care about the stats or do we care about the W? Because I tell you right now, as a Philadelphia fan, you can give me all the interceptions you want as long as you're winning the game. <laughs> Obviously, Philadelphia is not doing either of those things. Philadelphia is consistently turning the ball over uh, and is not winning. So let me correct that. Philadelphia is doing one of those things. But in regards to the Saints and Taysom Hill, he's winning. He, he won the game for you, and I think New Orleans is now six and zero without Drew Brees over the last two seasons. That says a lot about Coach Sean Payton how how well he uh, he coaches the game, how well he calls the game. So I'm really excited to see where this leads. New Orleans is a playoff caliber team they're a Super Bowl contender with Drew Brees without Drew Brees they're still pretty damn formidable so the league got put on notice as far as I'm concerned yesterday Uh, yes they did play a very bad Falcons team but still 
to win a game without your starting quarterback with a guy who many people don't believe should be starting. And, you know, I'll be the first to admit, I thought they were going to choose Jameis Winston to start this week, but they didn't. And it still played out well for them. This, This really goes to show you that they actually have a three different guys they can choose from. Jameis Winston, although he threw 30-plus interceptions last year, he did throw 30 touchdowns and had over 5,000 passing yards last season. So they got a couple of guys they can choose from. And when Drew retires, they're going to have a quarterback controversy on their hands, if you ask me. Um, You know, those are just my thoughts on it. I think that Drew ends up retiring at the end of this season. Uh, But again, that's just my opinion. And when that does happen... The Saints aren't going to be in trouble. They're going to have they have a good problem on their hands. Okay, y'all hear the music? Y'all know what that means? It means it's time for say it with your chest. Now, normally I would uh, kind of take this segment to get off the topics of sports that we this show is really all about, but uh, I'm going to stick with sports today. Philadelphia, man, I, I've been really, really, really trying to stay the course, um, you know, rooting for Carson, uh, rooting for Doug Peterson to kind of get it together, you know, switch up the play calling a bit. But every single week, I am just flabbergasted. Man, I don't even know what word to use. Like, damn, like I'm at that point where I just don't know what to say. There's no defense for some of these throws that Carson makes. I made mention of it earlier, but I wanted to highlight it again. The interception that was thrown to Taki Taki of the Browns that led to a pick six was inexcusable. It was terrible. It was ugly to watch. It was soul crushing. It was one of those plays that just makes you want to turn your TV off. It, it, it just makes you want to pull your hair out. And, th- and that's what you get with Carson sometimes. You get some of those wow moments where he's like, man, how the hell did you make that throw? How did you complete that? And then you have the one to two plays a game. And occasionally now, more than that, you get the plays where you're like, Carson, what the hell are you doing? What are you doing? You're going to find yourself playing for your job very soon, making the types of throws that you are. Now, the one thing that I don't want to understate is the fact that Carson has not been protected this season. He's the most sacked quarterback in the league by far. I believe Philadelphia has given up 40 sacks. And Carson is being... Yesterday, Carson got lit up. So I'm not going to put the blame primarily on him in regards to pass protection. Um, but what I will say is there are also plays where Carson can throw the ball away and he tries to do too much. But you know what happens is Carson gets caught up in trying to extend a play and he throws it to the other team inexplicably. No defense for it. Sometimes you just got to know when to admit defeat. Sometimes you just got to know when to fold and throw the ball away. But yesterday was yet another example of the Carson Wentz experience. And that's why many people are calling for Jalen Hurts to finish out the rest of the season. 
because Carson is inconsistent. This is the same guy who led a team of no names to the division title in the playoffs last season. Albeit only to be put out in Seattle, but he put the team on his back to end the season last year. This is also the same guy who had he not touring his ACL in 2017 may have won the MVP also may have been Super Bowl MVP there's just too many times when you see the inconsistencies in Carson's game some of it is on the offensive line but a lot of it falls on Carson too throw the ball away stop trying to do more then you really need to and let the game dictate itself take what the defense gives you that's that's one thing that Carson has to approve on just take what the defense gives you the interception that he threw to Taki Taki had Jalen Rieger wide open wide open I don't know if you didn't see him and he's on the left side of the field he's on Carson he's in his line of sight I just don't know if you saw him had him wide open. Jalen Ringer, first round pick just this season. Guy who was brought in to pretty much replace Deshaun Jackson at a certain point. And if given the ball more often, Jalen Ringer can do a lot. The point is, Carson is going to find himself out of a job, regardless of what I think, if he does not stop turning the ball over because the turnovers are of the worst variety and they're costing Philadelphia games. Okay, back to sports. Man, NBA free agency has been a whirlwind this offseason. And yes, we're in a short offseason, but man, I can't tell you that I predicted the amount of movement that uh, we've seen so far. Granted, we have had some guys uh, stay with their current teams. You know, we did have the likes of uh, Joe Harris remain with the Nets. That's great for them. Joe Harris is one of the best shooters in the game. Goran Dragic remained with the Heat. Uh, We did see a max extension given out to Fred Van Vliet, one of the more underrated point guards in the league. Uh, we saw a max extension handed out to Jason Tatum, much deserved. Uh, he's got future league MVP written all over him. So that was coming down the pipeline. Um, we'll probably see the same from Anthony Davis, um, Brandon Ingram. Uh, but aside from some of those spotlighted um, signings, we have a lot of movement. Like I said, Gordon Hayward moved from the Celtics to the Hornets on a uh, four-year, $120 million deal. That's a pretty big deal, considering that uh, Charlotte just drafted LaMelo Ball. So, looks like Michael Jordan's out here trying to make some moves. Uh, We saw Danilo Gallinari move from the Thunder to the Hawks. That's big time. We saw Montrez Harrell move from the Clippers to the Lakers. That's a huge deal. Uh, you get Marcus Gasol also agreeing to head to the Lakers. Contavious Caldwell Pope be up with the Lakers. The Lakers also got Dennis Schroeder. I mean, 
there are there's been so much movement. Um, one of the moves that was painful to see, but I'm kind of happy that this player got to go to a continuing team again was uh, Tristan Thompson, you know, beloved Cleveland Cavaliers center, uh, drafted. I believe fourth overall in the 2011 draft, same draft as Kyrie Irving, one of my all-time five favorite Cavaliers. He agreed to a two-year deal with Boston. So sad to see him go, but at the same time, I'm happy that he gets to go to a, a contender, provide valuable minutes, whether it be in a backup or starting role, to uh, a very good Celtics team. Um. In addition to that, you know, Cleveland's also made some moves. Uh, they traded for uh, Los Angeles Lakers center, JaVale McGee. Uh, backup center, for those of you who have paid attention to the Cavaliers games last season, was a huge need for them. So they addressed that. Uh, they got some rim protection in that move. Um, not Honestly, I'm not really quite sure how to feel about this deal. I don't know how it actually plays out because the current look of the roster to my knowledge um, you know you have Colin Sexton who I'm very very high on I think he has potential caliber uh, he's a potential all-star caliber point guard shooting guard wherever you want to slot him at um, not quite certain the future of Darius Garland um, he barely had a college career and he had an up and down season last year so I'm not really I'm not really sure how to feel about him. I like the potential of Kevin Porter Jr., I can tell you that. Uh, recent arrest notwithstanding. On the basketball court, Kevin Porter Jr. offers you an immense upside. You saw some of the bursts he had last year. So uh, you have those two. You have Jetty Olsman, who uh, he kind of is what he is at this point. You know, Jetty, he's, he's not going to be one of those up you know, high upside wings, but he, he can give you points and he can definitely contribute on a defensive end. I don't really see him having a very high ceiling at this point. It's possible. I just don't see it. Uh, you still have Kevin Love on the roster. That's, you know, who knows what will happen with Kevin Love. They've been trying to trade him for the last three, four years. So, you know, who really knows what will happen? I don't mind having him stay there. He has a pretty immovable contract. And he's still a valuable veteran, can provide great minutes in a starting role. Um, at that center spot, you know, you let Tristan go. You brought in Andre Drummond midseason. Um, you know, before the, the year got shut down, I believe the, the Cavs were 5-5 five and five under J.B. Bickerstaff. So, um, and that's with Andre Drummond in the lineup. Hard to really know how they're going to... Uh, how they're going to play this game. You have a projected starting lineup at this point of Colin Sexton, Kevin Porter Jr., Jetty Olsman, Kevin Love, Andre Drummond, and let's not forget that they just drafted uh, the kid out of college, Isaac Okoro, um, who projects to be a highly rated defensive player so he he might end up starting day one in that uh forward position over Osman so that's your projected lineup right there you know you have JaVale McGee off the bench the backup center role you still have Larry Nance Jr. who provides a spark at uh, the forward position 
pretty versatile guy, very athletic. You have Darius Garland. Uh, hopefully, they you transition him into a uh, backup point guard role. That to me, I'd make that decision over putting Colin on the bench. Uh, but the point is, is that uh, Cleveland's you know they made a couple of moves here and there. The JaVale McGee move, I don't really know how that's going to turn out, but uh, it's a nice pickup. Yeah, it's shot blocking. He didn't, you know, he played a small reserve role for the Lakers last season due to the fact that, you know, in today's game, it's not very uh, traditional big-centric. the main reason why Dwight Howard was on the bench for the finals. Most of it, anyways. There's there's a niche role for these guys, these uh, the traditional center types. So it remains to be seen how much JaVale is actually going to play. So I guess at the end of the day, you know, I'm I'm actually very excited about where Cleveland could finish in the East in this upcoming season. I think they're actually going to make a lot of people upset. <laughs> I think they're going to fight for a playoff position. They're going to prove a lot of people wrong. I think they are definitely underrated and can be a lot better than people think they will be at this point. I don't see them as a a threat to a high seed in the East, but I definitely see them as a threat to the 6, 7, 8 seed. I think they can do some damage. I think Andre Drummond can have an all-star caliber year. If Kevin Love can stay healthy for the better part of the year, then he can definitely put something up. I think Colin Sexton continues his upward trajectory. Ditto with Kevin Porter Jr., assuming there's nothing going on uh, with the legal issues that he's possibly facing. So I think that they have a lot of ground that they could potentially cover this season. I think they can speed up the rebuild. And if they don't, you can still look at ridding yourself of the Kevin Love deal somehow, some way. You can trade the expiring contract of Andre Jelman for some picks. There's, there's a couple different things you could do to continue the rebuild if it isn't quite working out. Uh, J.B. Bickerstaff is definitely could provide a spark at that coaching position. He seems like he has a, a good handle on those guys. So I think that they're going to finish a lot better than, uh, than people pegged them to. A 72-game season, my prediction for them at this point, um, pending any other roster additions, trades, anything like that, I think that they finish with a 35 win mark. So, I mean, I think it's definitely possible. I think they won 15 games last season. Either 15 or 19, I can't remember. But I think they could eclipse that mark at least. I think they're a better team. I think that having the coaching staff around, you know, that we've had so many different head coaches in the past couple of seasons has been crazy. But I think another offseason under the belt of these guys and J.B. Bickerstaff, uh, with him at the helm, I think they could definitely make some noise in the East. Keeping it within the NBA, man, we got big news out of Golden State. Over these past few days, Clay Thompson, the uh, premier two-way player, in my opinion, in the NBA, out with a torn Achilles. This is already on top of a torn ACL that he suffered uh, in the uh, NBA Finals in 2019. 
That is a tough loss for them. Now people are going to key in on Steph Curry with no... You know, people are just going to key in on him. Klay Thompson is one of those guys that you could seriously barely dribbles the ball and could drop 50 on you. He is a catch-and-shoot monster. Definitely a two-way player. Always takes the opposing team's best perimeter score and has never been afraid of the challenge. His game hasn't really been predicated on lateral quickness because he's such a shoot, a catch and shoot threat. But man, this is this is a devastating injury for them. They're gonna walk into the year with Steph Curry, Kelly Oubre, Andrew Wiggins, Draymond Green, James Wiseman their recent pick that's good enough for playoffs but not serious title contention if you ask me when you look at the landscape of the west in general people really were expecting the uh the warriors with clay thompson with steph curry with draymond green with james wiseman with kelly Oubre. now at this point they were expecting them to be a threat to the uh to the champs, the defending champion Lakers. Now, that's just not even a possibility. The West is too good. The Lakers have improved tremendously. I heard he talked about some of their additions. You know, they got Dennis Schroeder. They got Montrez Harrell. They got Wes Matthews. That's just to name a few. They are going to be the... the uh, the title favorites again. Not to mention, you look within the same state, you have the Los Angeles Clippers. You know, they lost a little bit, but they're still going to be just as dangerous as ever. So, the Warriors, that, that, that injury really takes them out of the title contention conversation. They're going to be awesome, you know, to watch, just just being able to see Steph and Draymond on the court again. And I'm really interested to see what James Wiseman's game looks like in the NBA, considering he had such a uh, short college career. But that's, that's just a devastating blow for them, man. Talk about untimely. And a, a guy who is just... He has one of the most pure shooting forms in NBA history. He might be a better shooter. Well, for scratch that might. He is a better shooter than Steph Curry. One of the best shooting forms you'll ever see. Barely needs the ball in his hands to do damage. Just catch and shoot. And he can catch fire in an instant. He still holds the record for most points scored in a quarter. I believe it's 37. Don't quote me on that, though. That's just, that, that, is ter- that is a terrible injury for basketball, period. Whether you're a Warriors fan, and trust me, I am not. That's just a devastating injury. Before we head to our last segment of the day, I uh, just wanted to let you guys know that 
we here at Buckeyes in Maryland are planning on hosting a Madden tournament, uh, whether that be on PlayStation or Xbox is to be determined. It just really depends upon interest. Uh, so with y'all can hit us up on Twitter at Bucks in Maryland. You can hit us up on Facebook at Buckeyes in Maryland, you know, whichever, just to, uh, if you want to enter. I think that we're going to go ahead and do maybe 10, maybe $15 entry fee. Um, then the prize is going to be completely determined by the amount of entries we have. We're not going to have an exorbitant amount. It's just, uh, you know, when we get to a certain point, we'll probably cut it off for entries. But if you're interested, please let us know so we can get that underway. We've really been thinking about doing this for a while. Um, me and Chris, John, we love Madden. We consider ourselves to be some of the top players around. Uh, if you want to get a chance to play us, you got to join. You got to enter the tournament. Uh, so don't forget to do that. Remember, Twitter, Bucks in Maryland. Facebook, Buckeyes in Maryland. You can find the socials uh, connected to the Anchor app. We have them listed there So if you're interested in joining. Uh, with that being said, we'll go ahead and move to the last segment now. MVPB, y'all know I love this segment. Can't not. Uh, Roddy White, that is today's MVPB for me. I don't know if y'all saw the recent tweet that he had about the Saints before the game. It's just It was just in reference to their decision to start Taysom Hill over Jameis Winston, pretty much. We already know how the game turned out, but the tweet obviously did not age well. So here it is. Via Roddy White's official Twitter. Saints about to get whipped trying us with Taysom Hill at QB. We about to snack them. First of all, man. <laughs> I'm not even going to comment on the verbiage there. Second of all, obviously you were wrong, Roddy. Taysom Hill looked like a starting caliber quarterback. Granted, he didn't throw any touchdowns, but he didn't turn the ball over. And he also rushed for two touchdowns on 10 attempts. So, definitely made him eat his words. You, you, I love to see stuff like this just because you, you never know how tweet, a tweet is going to age. You know, I had a tweet about Justin Fields, and I'm, I'm a heavy, pretty heavy proponent about Justin Fields being a better quarterback than uh, Trevor Lawrence, but one of my tweets didn't seem to age very well, uh, and that's just primarily based upon the past weekend's game between Ohio State and Indiana. Just didn't look too good on me. And Roddy White, unfortunately, finds himself in the same situation here. Taysom Hill made Roddy White eat some crow. I hope y'all throw some respect on this man's name now just because he proved that he's not just a gadget player. Saints are going to head into the offseason. Um, you know, if Drew Brees retires, they're going to have a uh, quarterback controversy on their hands. If they decide to bring back both Taysom, well, Taysom's already on the contract, but if they decide to bring back Jameis, they're going to figure out who's going to start. We know what kind of quarterback Jameis Winston is. We really don't know, based upon the small sample size, how sustainable Taysom Hill can be at the quarterback position. But... For this one weekend, for this one game, he proved the doubters wrong. And I love to see stuff like that because many people compare Taysom Hill to Tim Tebow or what Tim Tebow could have been because Tim Tebow refused to really, you know, switch his position. So 
I'm just glad to see him finally live up to the contract that they gave out this past offseason. With that being said, you guys, I'm going to go ahead and close out today's episode. Remember, if you want to enter the Madden tournament, hit us up on Twitter, Bucks of Maryland, or Facebook, Buckeyes of Maryland. The socials are listed on both, more even in the Anchor app if you're listening on Anchor. And you guys have a good day. Thank you.